Welcome to the University of the Free State Career Services Podcast, where we talk to experts about the ins and outs of jobs and share tips that will give you a grip on your future career. Good morning to our listeners. Um, I'm Lagato Makati and I'll be your host to interview today on this podcast, on the Career Services Podcast, and I have a very interesting guest with me today, Richard Anthony Shamili. Shamili. Yeah, let's yes. go with that. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> How are you feeling today? Fantastic, thanks. Lovely, uh, warmish day in winter in Bloemfontein, so it's nice to be here. Right, can I tell you that he's wearing shorts and short sleeve? But not pluckies. So I'm, okay. I haven't gone full burki on you. Okay, yeah. okay. But so that's, I, I, I'm guessing that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, okay, great. So I, 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 I read your bio. Um, wow. What an interesting person you are. You have an entertainment, um, you have an entertainment law firm. Yes. Right? This is where you deal with games, films, and music. That's Correct. part of the package. Okay? Right. And you just told me right now before we started that you also build robots. <laughs> <laughs> that is so out there. And also, you have a column, a weekly column on The Citizen yes. called The Punk Rock Lawyer, yes. which deals with elements of the law in terms of the entertainment um, industry, well, the infringements well, of it. The, the, the fringe elements of law generally. So the things that in law that people don't really want to speak about, like okay. why do people do defamation suits and they never follow through? Or, you know, yes. uh, politicians threaten the defamation suit. Actually, the latest one I wrote was... Uh, three years ago, I, s- I wrote a column saying a um, particular politician was threatening a defamation suit. And I bet you it's not, they're not going to follow through. And now I remembered after this Johnny Depp trial in the yes. States, I was like, oh, by the way. What uh, happened to yeah. that? <laughs> what happened to that? Did uh, they follow through? No. no. As you had predicted. Exactly. A smart man, smart <laughs> man. <laughs> and you are also uh, the commissioner for the BCCSA, which is the Broadcasting Complaints Commission of South Africa. Yes. So there, there, are, there are seven of us. So okay. a commissioner. A commissioner, there part of the seven. So you are a big deal. I think uh, no. <laughs> like you see, when you start up, <laughs> you definitely are. A you big know, deal. people people like to think that, but you know, a big deal is is relatively relative. Uh, I I do things that I enjoy doing, and that mm. allows me to do many things, as opposed to dwell in a nine to five and you know. And obviously, you know, you pay the price. I'm 33 and yes. still single, have no kids <laughs> and, you know, don't have a mortgage or anything like that. So yes. I'm not doing the traditional life stuff, but it's it's been fun. But it's been good. Yeah. Yes. So, so tell us a little bit about how you got here. When and why did you develop an interest in entertainment law? Right. So when I was in high school, I um, followed, I still do, this uh, libertarian commentator in the United States uh, by the name of Bill Maher. Okay. And one thing I really hated, I mean, it's, it's, it's cool to speak about it now, but in 2006 it wasn't. You know, I hated the fact that I was told you couldn't smoke weed. I'm not a weed smoker. I never did. But, yes. but I, you know, and so I thought, you know, what contribution I can make to the world of liberty is to, you know, push that weed agenda. Mm. And then I thought, oh, well, let's uh, study law. And then during my legal studies, like, that went really well and I got into student politics and was – noticed by the big firms, and then the ego took over. And when I got the offer, <laughs> I posted the offer to Facebook, and I was like, oh, look, you guys are all going to these small firms in Bloemfontein. <laughs> I'm going to the big boys in Josie. Yes. And then obviously I had to follow through with that, and I forgot mm. about my weed legalizing dreams. Yes. Um, and then only like towards the end of my articles, I was thinking, 
this isn't what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it never was what I wanted to do. It's not the trajectory I chose. It's just sort of where my ego led me. Yes. Uh, and I wasn't interested in doing law at all. Um, so I took a small job uh, at the Constitutional Hill for a couple of months, and then I couldn't deal with that either, and I <laughs> wanted to just give up. So I cashed in everything I had, jumped on a train, started traveling, and then quickly ran out of money because, you know, it's yeah. easy to do when you're not <laughs> making any of it. And yes. uh, then I was fortunate I was quite a party animal in my high school and varsity days. So a lot of my friends went into entertainment fields like club ownership and music making and that sort of thing. Mm. Uh, and they were all asking me for advice. And I was like, oh, this is easy. You know, I'll help you. I was sitting on a train with my laptop writing contracts just yes. to help them out. And then I realized, wait, I'm actually quite good at this. Let's explore. And that uh, was a two-year journey that then was like, okay, cool. I'm going to start an entertainment law firm. No one's doing it really. Uh, let's give it a bash. Wow. Yeah. And is it, is, is it doing well? Are there people that come in? So, like, well is also relative. Um, because, <laughs> you know, if I'm doing deceased estates or insolvency law, I'd be making a lot more money. Okay. Um, the problem with the arts is that there isn't much money in it. Yes. So I can't be charging the fees to clients that I would if I was doing, like, corporate law. Yes. Um, so, yeah, it's doing well in the sense that what uh, myself and now a couple of people who have you know, been part of this industry and are, like, developing the industry, we're trying to make it seem like – or to, to show the value – of understanding the legalities when it comes to art. Because lots of people sit on their intellectual property. They don't know how to monetize it. They don't know how to commercialize it and do that sort of thing with it. So uh, we're basically creating the market for ourselves. Basically. Yeah, and and that's a long-term process. But uh, at the end of the day, the hope is that it will develop the art sector in South Africa and, of course, globally if and when we get there. If and when you get yeah. there. I think when. Okay. Uh, let's let's cash out the, the, the if. But but sir, um, having you speaking, I'm hearing that um, you followed your dreams thoroughly. You did whatever you wanted. You commanded your life the way you wanted to do mm. it. Um, and that's something that we'd encourage other people to do. But it's not the easiest thing to do. And I'm sure that um, as you were going forward, you had some doubts about, did I actually make the right decision? Um, I had all the cards decked out, but I chose to go my way. Right. Were there any doubts that you dealt with? Um, oh, still to this day, you know, you, you have mm. to you have to answer those, those questions. I mean, if I look at what my bank balance is now and I compare it to what it would have been had I stayed in commercial law, like, mm. you know, there's a difference of a few million there. But <laughs> at the same time, like... You know, did I want that lifestyle? That's that's the question. I mean, yeah. you know, when I was 32 and still living with my parents because uh, I had to move back in home when, yes. while I was developing this, like that, that was a bit of a stinger. Um, yeah. But then you realize it's part of the greater plan. And, you know, it, people tell me I have this privilege. So, you know, you might as well use it and try and do something good with it. And yeah. that's how I always said to myself, like, that, that there's a lot of differences in terms of like the whatever the traditional lifestyle maybe or the traditional path of a traditional attorney or legal advisor or whatever people who go into law intend to do. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, the, the law degree is merely that. It's it's a degree that sets you up for whichever direction you want to take want it. To and I think that's lost on many students is that they think I'm studying this, therefore I have to work in this, and therefore this is going to be my path. Exactly. Um, what they don't realize is that you're studying this and it's a whole host of knowledge. And I mean, you would know when we when you do a module, 
you know, you only have to do like one or two chapters out of the textbook. So you ignore the rest. Yes. And the rest is the, uh, there's a lot of useful information in there. But yeah. because it's not pertinent to exactly what you're studying, you tend to ignore it. Yes. And that's the difference between someone who's going to make a difference and someone who's just going to get a job and, you know, do the do the bare minimum. Is yes. that you, you can make a massive difference by learning more than what other people are learning and then trying to figure out how you're going to apply it. And that's what, you know, with the entertainment law sector, I mean, entertainment law wasn't a thing 10 years ago. Uh, exactly. And if it was, there were maybe one or two people doing it part-time as part of a bigger firm. Yes. Uh, whereas now it can be more specialized because more and more people realize the benefit of it. Yes. Yeah. So kids, read the part of the module, <laughs> the chapters that uh, uh, you are required to do, and well, then you'll be more equipped in uh, that way. You know what I would I would suggest is that if you if you look at that, um, you know, you get those breaks mm. where you have two or three weeks off around about Easter, and then again in September. Yes. Yes. Um, and. You know, it's halfway through your module of through the semester, and you're not you're obviously not studying in that time. I mean, no one studies in no those. No one studies in that time. We are so, resting. Yeah, <laughs> yes. but I mean, then there's no pressure to study anything that you you're not going to use for your to, to, for your tests or your exams. Yes. And you know, you lie in bed and you read a chapter that you don't have to learn, and you can think, oh wait, this is actually interesting. I might be able to apply it in this way or that way in the future, or this is useless to me. Let me read yeah. another chapter. Yeah. Yes. Well, no pressure. No pressure. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of watching TV, go read another yeah. chapter. Um, so, okay. So now you have done all these decisions. Now you're doing this. You're pioneering maybe in spaces. You have an entertainment law firm. I've never heard of, of an entertainment law firm ever. Um, maybe a lot of listeners have not heard about that, right? So meaning... It might be, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm assuming, it might be a lonely space to be in because there's not so much people that you can discuss these um, matters with, right? Right. So um, if you could just tell us a little bit about what is then the worst part of the job that you're currently doing right now. I think a lot of it is expectation and managing expectation. Uh, when mm. you work in the entertainment space, I mean, a lot of the times you work with big names and some celebrities and the industry moves very, very fast. Yes. And people expect you to work miracles. You know, you, mm. you know, you're my lawyer. Make it work. <laughs> um, and I think that managing those expectations is is really tough sometimes. So mm. often you have to sit with your client and be like, look, I can only do for you what the law stipulates. I can't pull a rabbit out of a hat. Mm. You go and you fire a gun at someone, I can't get you off, right? Mm. I'm not, and even if I could... I, Ethically, I probably won't. You steal somebody's song. I can't make it that you didn't steal that song. Yes. You, 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 stole you stole the song. The song. Yeah. Yes. So, you know, you, you've got to create the managed expectations and, and deal with that, which is often very difficult. But fortunately, you know, when you set your clients down from the word go and you say, this is the deal, this is what I can offer, this is how much it's going to cost, because at the end of the day, you don't want them to get an invoice and be like, what? What is it? <laughs> <laughs> so um, then, then, you know, you, you're already halfway to managing the expectations you need to manage. The rest is just follow through and make sure you do as best you can. Yes. Yeah. Okay, then what is the best part of your job? The best part of my job is getting people to understand their real value. Um, mm. You know, especially when it comes to contracts, people think, "Ooh, you know, I got an offer from a label, and you know, they're paying me ten rand for my song, but they're going to get it everywhere, and they're going to put it on all the streaming services." And I'm like, you know, for ten rand, um, <laughs> cool if you want to do that, but they're like, "Yeah, but no one else is giving me an offer," and I say, "But." 
it's not about whether you get an offer or not. It's whether you get an offer that you like. So everyone yes. thinks once the papers are in front of you, you're not allowed to negotiate, you're not allowed to amend, you're not allowed to talk through, and you have to sign. And a lot of people do. They just sign they and they think because, you know, it's the only offer they have. Yeah. Um, and then when they come to me and they ask for comment on the agreement, then I'll be like, no, change this, get this to change it. Can we change this? I said, well, no one's forcing you to sign it. So <laughs> either you sign it or you ask to change it or you don't sign it at all. But uh, those options, those latter options, people don't, aren't really aware of. Aware they think, of them, yeah, yeah I, I have to sign because it's the only offer on the table. No. You know, make it worth your, your yeah. Make yes. it worth your while, or don't sign because they wouldn't give it to you the offer unless they had something that they wanted out of it. So figure out what that is, figure out your value, and then you know, go with your contractor. So that's been very satisfying to be able to engage meaningfully in the arts and make artists realize what their their value is. This opens my eyes because yeah. I'm an artist in my own right, but then, right. I didn't even know that yeah. um, you had the options to. Um, negotiate exactly it always feels like a take it or leave it kind of situation and and often that's how it's presented to you but the the point is like then artists can stand up and be like fine i'll leave it and then i'll go to someone else who'll give me 20 rand it might not be that much more but it's still but it's more. more than 10 yeah. rand wow that's, that's 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 brilliant i mean I, that, that sounds like that takes up i would feel very fulfilled if that was <laughs> if right. i could just open people's eyes is because Wow, a lot happens in those spaces. Now tell me, what did your, what did your job, what, what kind of life perspective did your job give you? Did it change how you thought? Did it alter your thinking since you started in entertainment law? Well, step back um, to when I started in corporate law. Uh, what, what corporate law does to you is it makes you really value your time a lot more mm. and think about it in increments of six minutes because every six minutes is 0.1 of an hour uh -huh. and you charge your rate for that. So, you sure. know, you, you know, you work hard and then if someone like comes and speaks to you for 10 minutes, that's 0.2 time that they've taken out and, you know, then they've dented your budget because, you know, if you're, if 0.1 is worth 100 Rand, they've cost you 200, 200 Rand in your budget. Yes. So, uh, what, what, uh, shifts I had to make when I left that space is to reevaluate how I value time. Now still I value time a lot more because, you know, it's my time, it's my budget. I'm not making money for a firm. I'm making it for my yourself, firm, for myself. Yeah. But um, also set time aside that I can don't have that anxiety when I'm sitting with my parents or my sisters or friends and talking to them and just having a family conversation thinking, I could be making money now, you know, I could be yeah. servicing clients. So so the ability to shut off was a big shift for me to make again, which was really, really redeeming and, and satisfying. Now I can actively, I, like I've spoken to my family and said, look, from this hour to this hour, I'm working. Please don't disturb and don't expect anything from mm -hmm. me. But from here to here, fair really? game. <laughs> Let's go for dinner. <laughs> yes. Well, th that sounds so brilliant. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, structuring one's... Um Finding the value of time mm. is very important. I like that you spoke about that, especially because our listeners are going to be um, um, are mostly students. Yeah. They need to understand the value of time. But time does not mean sitting in front of the book and working all the time. Yeah. It means structuring in a way that actually feels you fulfilled as well at the end of the day. You're doing things that you want to do as well at the end of the day. And what's nice about uh, seeing time as a commodity is that that's the ultimate equilibrium, right? Mm. We all have exactly the same amount of time. What we do with that time, I mean, is different and we do have differing opportunities. Yes. But, um, you know, when I go out and have a few beers that is supposed to be one and then turns into the rest of the night, yeah. and then I end up being very 
very, very weak the following morning and not being <laughs> able to function. Yeah. You know, that's 12, 13 hours of yesterday and today that, you know, I've s- dedicated to, you know, partying and then recovering that I could have dedicated to something, something else, else yeah. uh, that's more productive. And and that's at the same, at exactly the same moments, people who are maybe my competitors or my friends or whoever, yeah. they was, might be spending that time more productively or doing something. So I have to decide, for example, last night, if I'm going out for a few beers, um, who am I going to spend that time with? Am I connecting with people in my industry? Is it for friends? Is it yes. for family? Is it worth the morning where I'm going to be unproductive? Mm-hmm. Th- those sort of questions are important. And that's what's nice to realize about time is like, it's it's an equalizer. We all have exactly the same amount of it. You see, you say that time is an equalizer, but this morning I prayed for an extra thirty minutes. Oh yeah. So I really think I'm gonna have um, zero zero point zero zero thirty at the end of my time. Okay. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> so now you, you do what you love. Yes. But what would you rather do if you weren't an entertainment lawyer, weren't building robots, weren't dealing with gaming, music, and film, yeah. film, uh, working for the BCCSA? What would you be doing? What would you rather be doing? Uh, I would love to, and this is still a possibility because I'm using my column in the Citizen to to develop this, but I would love to uh, develop tourism. Um, So I want to go around the country looking for interesting spots and uh, telling people about them. Yes. Most recently, I took a month off and I traveled around the country um, looking for the oldest pub in South Africa. Did you find it? Well, I found several because they all have different (laughs) claims to fame, which makes it interesting writing. So starting the beginning of July, like every week, we're going to put out a a, a different write-up of all these old pubs and what makes them the oldest pub. Like one's been in the same space the longest time, one's had the longest license, you know, different claims to fame. So it's interesting to to uh to see but that that's the one thing i would like to do if i'm not doing what i'm currently doing yeah. when i was a kid i wanted to be a pilot but thank goodness i never did that <laughs> <laughs> in my in my commercial days i used to represent uh saa and sure. it just seems like pilots have a a job that can get very boring very easily very quickly and not to diminish what like pirate pilots do yeah. i mean they're important but it's not something that would have been something I can look back on now and think I would have enjoyed. Well, thank you so, so much. Okay, now we reach cool, the right. part of our segment where I'm going to be asking you five questions, okay? These questions mm. are really fast. You don't think about it. Think about it. There's an imaginary bomb behind you. It's about to blow up. Oh. So you don't think about the questions. You answer them as quick as possible. Okay, okay are you ready for five questions? Yes. Fire away. Ah, okay, I can't live without? <laughs> Pizza. My secret weapon is? My ego. I always have? Shoes. I will never. Uh, question myself. I hope. To question myself. <laughs> that's the end. Of and that's the end of our five questions. Oh, thank you so so much, uh, Richard, for joining us today in our podcast. I'm sure our listeners will enjoy um, the wisdom that you have given, and also this will open up perspectives on things that they didn't think they will be able to do. Uh, thank you so much for sitting down with us. I thoroughly enjoyed myself, and please enjoy the rest of your afternoon. Thank you, Larissa. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. That's it for now. Listen to all our episodes to make sure that you get into the fast lane of career success. 